I am Dr. Tasha Browning, a trauma therapist, and this is The Trauma Perspective. In this podcast, we will discuss various topics surrounding mental health, trauma work, trauma healing, and explore the lived experiences of trauma survivors. Be warned, trauma is a dirty topic. It is thick with hurt and it reveals some of the ugliest sides of human existence. These discussions may not be appropriate for all listeners. So take a breath, stay present, and let's discuss the trauma perspective. Hi, Isabel. Welcome to the Trauma Perspective. And today, I really can't think of anybody else better to have a conversation um, you, except for another mom who has a lot of breastfeeding experience because this episode is about breastfeeding and what that journey looks like. So can you introduce yourself to everyone? Yes. Hello. My name is Isabel Reynolds. I am a mom of three kids. I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old and an 18-month-old. And I am also a fitness coach and photographer. So I am a birth fit coach and leader. I'm a CrossFit level one coach. I'm a USA weightlifting coach. And I have a photography businesses business that focuses on like the motherhood transition. So maternity, birth, newborn, and then family. So I am really deep into that motherhood timeframe. And so me and you connected with motherhood through your Moxie Mothers group. And I think that is where I started to say, you know what, Isabel gets a lot of stories from a lot of women. She has a lot of women yes. come to her with all of their struggles, their successes, yeah. their challenges. It's almost like you have this big collective of oral histories of motherhood that women bring to you through this mother's group. Can you just give us a little background on the mother's group so people know where we're coming from? Yeah, so I started this free motherhood support group at the gym that I work in. And it's been almost a year since I started it, but it really came to be through my struggles with Facebook mommy groups <laughs> and professional care providers. And there was this disconnect where I was getting this really conservative advice, this really vague conservative advice for a small group, and then very specific anecdotal advice from another group. And I was like, how do I navigate this? And I really felt a ball was dropped on me with my care. And I was like, this, I'm not the only one. So I created this group and it's completely free to anybody who wants to come in. And it can be just like talking about our struggles or we have professionals like you or doctors or chiropractors or lactation consult. Like we have so many massage therapists. We have so many different people coming in there and they say, hey, I can help or I know somebody who can help. And I just wanted to be that like middle person for women in the community so they don't get, I feel like mommy Facebook groups are the new like web MD of the internet. So you like go in there and you ask a question and then you're just bombarded with all this information that is absolutely terrifying. So I wanted this in-person group because I think that social connection is really important to be a first step for women in the community to seek out information rather than going to the internet 
or, and, and not so much, hey, don't go to your doctor or whoever you're seeing, but maybe go to the right doctor. Maybe it's not a MD, maybe it's a physical therapist, or maybe it's a chiropractor, or maybe it's a psychologist or something like that. So that's why I started because I said, hey, I need this and I can't be the only one. And so it's been actually like really nice and healing for me to facilitate these conversations. But also I feel like there are points that are brought up in the group discussions at Moxie Mother that I feel really do help the women that are there. Yes. And I'd like to add that the group that Isabel has put together has been really, she's really pulled in a lot of different people's knowledge and skills and wisdom where you can take one issue but you're looking at it from four different professionals perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important because sometimes we on this journey in motherhood, we can be given information that's only from one perspective, just from your doctor. Whereas in different topics that we've covered in the group, we can definitely see that we kind of need PTs perspective, someone who specializes in the pelvic floor or someone who does specialize in nutrition or someone who can look at movement differently than the exercises that you've been given to recuperate from your postpartum. But that all led me to want to have this particular conversation with you about breastfeeding, because I know that each of your breastfeeding journeys as two moms who's on this same journey, me, I'm still in mine, but you... Girl, I can't wait to be in your shoes one day because that's I'm ready to be at the end of this journey, honestly. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah. So you've been in like all the different areas of breastfeeding, and I think maybe mm-hmm. it's it's important to just maybe have a candid, candid conversation about that because what is alternative web MD information um, on some yeah. of these mommy groups on Facebook. The ones that I have read through and I've looked through a bunch of them because you know how once you dive into the rabbit hole, you just keep going like more groups. And from a mental health perspective, I find a lot of bullying to take place in those groups. I also find a lot of shaming to take place in some of the information that's given in surrounding breastfeeding. And I think that that realm of uh, this idea of how breast is best has been promoted, has the real, the goodness of it is, looks like it's got a little lost to me because Mm -hmm. we incorporate all these different areas of of mom shaming and putting people down based upon whether or not they're lactating or choosing to to breastfeed or lactate, that, that becomes a real issue in motherhood. And so I think just with breastfeeding, this conversation I think needs to you know, start happening more and more. And so with that, can you share what your three journeys and your three little babies uh, have been? Yeah. To start really far back, my mother breastfed all her kids for some period of time. And so I have three younger siblings and I'm at least, I'm 10 to 15 years older than them. So When she started having kids again, I was there and I witnessed her breastfeeding. And so when I had my um, daughter, my story too, I didn't know that was your story too, but that's my perspective too. But and and so I didn't put much thought into it. I was 25 when I had Aoife, and um, like really, okay, I want to have kids, and then you have the baby, and you're like. (laughs) And I was like, I'm going to breastfeed. And that was just like a decision that I had made. And I was going to breastfeed for a year. And my personality is very loyal to my commitments. So once I decided that was gonna, that's what I was going to do, nobody could deter me. 
And it, this personality trait that I have, it really has messed me up in a lot of different ways and different decisions that I've made in the past. So I'm not saying that, oh, just do what I did because it has turned me down the wrong road a lot of times. <laughs> but so I, my daughter, when she was born, I believe she like aspirated some meconium. So she was actually in the NICU. And I like using that term because they call it the nursery now, but really it's the NICU. Mm-hmm. And she was in the NICU for two days and they were like, not going to send her home. She was on all these IV antibiotics and they had to monitor all this stuff. And so I really didn't get, I think I got 10 minutes with her after she was born. And then they, okay, we have to take her now. And they whisked her away. And so I would have to go down to the nursery and try and nurse her. And she did not want to latch. Her little mouth was so small. Like my breasts were not the shape that you need for breastfeeding. And that happens a lot to like first time moms because they don't have that repetition to, to move that skin around. And so I had the nipple shield and then they had to put the glucose on it. So she would want to do it. And she just, I don't think she was eating enough. And when I got home from the hospital, we like started doing a lot of stuff. And my mom came to me and she was like, you need to feed on both sides. And I was like, no, she's fine. I just fed her on one side. And I really didn't listen to my mother. And then my daughter was really underweight. And I was like, no, I'm breastfeeding. I'm pumping. And so I started going back to work really early part-time. And then around 12 weeks, I was back to full-time, you know, working at the gym and my mother would watch the baby and never made enough milk for her during the day. I had one of those a traditional pump. So it had all the tubes and the wires and the two things that stick out. And it's very obvious what you're doing. <laughs> and so I had to take all my stuff. First, you have to remember to pump. So I had to take all my stuff, go to the bathroom, sit for 20 minutes. And I remember, I don't know how old she was, but I remember sitting on the floor crying because I looked at the bottle attached to the pump and there was nothing in there, like literally nothing. And I'm like squeezing. I'm like, and who knows, like I was probably dehydrated, um, stressed out. And I just felt like such a failure. Like this is the thing that I wanted. This is the thing that I decided for myself. I was going to nurse her. And it wasn't until my mom was like, Hey, you, you're not, there's not enough milk. Like I, I have to give her something. So my mom started buying formula and giving it to her. And eventually I was like, I'm going to do, I'll pump what I can. And then she'll do the formula. But now she's five. And I'm like, why didn't I just do that? My baby was hungry and my pride and my decision kept me from feeding her. I can't think about it too much because like, I, then I also feel guilty about that, that so she's good. She's thriving. She's on, you know, she's great. But I, I wish that I had given myself some movement with my decision-making. And so then when I had my son a couple of years later, he latched great. He got like an A plus from the lactation consultant in the hospital, but I was on WIC. And so they like give you formula. And so I was like, formula, you hungry? And I don't have anything. And I don't have anything right now. Formula. Mm-hmm. So he, it was a much more relaxed situation with him because I was like comfortable. I didn't, ha- I didn't have to strain to accommodate my pumping schedule or do, you know, whatever. It was just like, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be. 
But then I did, I bought one of those like Bluetooth pumps Mm -hmm. and that was like a game changer. So that was amazing. I invested a lot of money into that. I ended up like increasing my supply and then I got pregnant two weeks later and then my supply dang. So I was like, okay, I'll just tuck this in for, <laughs> for later. And so I got, he was like eight months when I got pregnant. And so it was a lot of the journey was a lot shorter, but it was less stressful. And then when I had my third, I was like, I'll breastfeed. I feel good about it. And I went into this pregnancy and birth because I was like, I'm going to do what I need to do. And so I remember making a post in a mommy group and I was like, what is, what are the bougiest things that you brought to the hospital with you? Because I want to do that. I want to make my stay comfortable. Like they're going to be taking care of the baby, but what's going to make my stay? I brought my Roku. I brought my diffuser. I brought my fancy robe. Like I wanted to be comfortable. And so I really went into that, that kid, Juna, I, with this mindset of, I need to take care of myself too. And so she, I had issues with her too. Like her latch was really chompy and they don't really tell you this, but like each kid you have the cramping from breastfeeding after birth just gets worse. So much worse. It felt like labor and it would bring me to tears and um, I would like tense up. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. It's just too much. But I ended up, I had my fancy pump and I was, and I ended up exclusively basically exclusively breastfeeding. I pumped mostly. I just really pumped and uh, I had all the gear and I invested a lot of money into that. And that was, it was a lot more relaxed. And then around nine months, her latch got better and I was able to like chest feed her and nurse her. And that was nice. And she weaned herself around like 13 months. And this was like very intermittent nursing and uh, she's like eating food. It's just for fun, Mm -hmm. not for fun, bonding or whatever. And I was like, okay, like we're done. Yeah, And that was just this big season of my life, like worrying about how I'm going to feed this baby with my body is done. Now my body's my own and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> so I'm in this weird spot now. Each of my kids have, diff- have had different amounts of breast milk in their first year of life. And they're like literally performing. What kind of support do you think you had around that journey? What kind of support did you get that you think maybe was helpful? And then what kind of support was not helpful at all? Yeah, so... When I had my first, there were members of my family who like didn't feel comfortable with me like nursing my baby whenever I wanted to. And so I'd be at somebody's house and like on the couch and feed my baby and they like wouldn't look at me when they would talk to me. They didn't want to make (laughs) eye contact. And so that was weird, but I think they got over it because I didn't. I had people say things like I would go somewhere and I would just intend to nurse because like I'm there and I have my baby and then I would have to leave and they'd be like, why don't you have stuff for us. And I was like, well, I didn't, that wasn't the plan. Just like little comments like that. My job is very accommodating. Whenever I needed to take a step to hook myself up or sit in the office and feed the baby or whatever I needed to do, like they were very supportive. And I think if I was in an environment that was not necessarily unsupportive, but just made it a little bit inconvenient, I would have been like, "Mm -mm, nah, I'm good. So that, I feel like that really allowed me to continue with what I decided to do. My mom was really supportive. My partner was really supportive. And so I think that was really important. I've had friends who, I had this one friend who she had a baby and her mother constantly was talking about how tiny the baby was. The baby's not growing. The baby's not big enough. The baby's not growing. The baby's not growing. 
And I think eventually the baby was like a failure to thrive a little bit because the baby wasn't growing, but, and I feel like, and they ended up having to supplement, making the decision to supplement with formula. And now she's like, I should have just done that from the beginning. And so I, I think that it's almost like this fear of, oh, I don't want to use, I don't want to use the formula. I want to do this own natural or Absolutely. whatever, whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever that, yeah. yeah. But once they, once they quit, everybody, I don't know one person who's, man, I really should not have given my baby formula. Nobody. So it's this like struggle to make the decision. And then I, like, once the seal's broken, like once you start, you're like, oh shit. Yeah. I can chill because you can always go get more formula, right? Like it's going to be there. They're making it. Or you can borrow some from your friend or you can have it in your stashed in your diaper bag just in case. Mm-hmm. Because like people, their hunger and their food schedules are like, they can be unpredictable. Sometimes they're like, babies are super hungry for two hours and then they don't eat for a little bit. And so it's just, it's a lot to manage. And there is so much information out there saying really like one thing. So that breast is best. Diane? Yeah. No. So before we move forward with that, I want to ask you, did you ever use or contact the services of a lactation consultant? No, no. They have one in the hospital that will come see you. And so with my first, I don't think anybody came to talk to me. And that's really like when you need to go, that's when all the care providers with all these different fields need to go talk to the mother because she doesn't know. With my son, they came in and did like some checks and then he was doing great. He gained weight at the hospital. So they like weigh the baby. And so my daughter was losing weight and, and babies generally lose weight, but Soren, he's a big kid. He gained weight in the hospital. And then, so she was like, you don't really need me. And then I did request one when I had my daughter, because I was like, this latches, if I don't get this taken care of, like I'm done. And once you say, once you threaten, like not breastfeeding at the hospital, they're like all hands on deck. Like, oh my God, we need to go talk to her. But then afterwards, I didn't have anybody come to my house. I didn't go to the health department to go talk to somebody. And so I don't know. I don't know if there are maybe like private lactation consultants that are more amenable to alternatives. Well, I would say that um, coming from the experience of having tried these things. Honestly, the information that I got from the two people that I consulted wasn't much different from the wealth of information that's available online. Uh, A lot of it was just regurgitation from online. Mm -hmm. And then some of it was the same methods that I saw from other lactation consultants on different YouTube videos. And so that was a little disappointing. The other disappointing aspect of that was some of the rhetoric rhetoric behind breastfeeding and latching and this idea that just feed more, just pump more, just latch the baby more. It it seems uh, now to be a little asinine to think that the idea of feeding on demand or supply on demand can increase your milk when that research from everything that I've read now that I've been in this whole breastfeeding 
journey here is passe. Like that's not even research in terms of how women increase their supply or what's really going on with a woman's body that actually works because there's so many different factors that go into you being able to lactate. You can't just say latch the baby more to increase your supply. Like that research doesn't like that, that some, that may work for some women, but in actuality, it's just not the the thing that really gets women going. And so what I ran into, I think support, like the support that you have from your family and the support that I had looking at my elders, talking to my mom and talking to my grandma. Um, and then the support I got from my husband was a, a lot uh, better in terms of dealing with uh, breastfeeding. I uh, did fine in the hospital. My baby was fine. And I felt like the last day that I was there, they were doing all the different checks and things to the, my child. I felt like he was getting a little aggravated because it seemed like they were putting him on my boob like every hour or every, they say you're supposed to feed him every two hours, but I have a child with a personality and he was like, listen, I am done. So by the time I got home and tried to latch him, it was like, he knew he was like home. And he was like, listen, Heffa, I don't want to breastfeed no more, mama. Like I'm <laughs> done with the boob. Let me sleep. Like I got home and I'm like, he does not want to feed anymore. We overfed him today. He's so tired of somebody sticking a boob in his face. And I, I let him sleep. Uh, a couple of hours because I also think we'll get into the sleep habits of breastfeeding, but some of that I think is just going to drive, it will drive people completely nuts. But, uh, and I woke him up and I latched him. He seemed to be okay. Woke up the next morning and I guess like my actual milk had came in, which I'm lucky that I had milk come in, but that whole experience had me wake up like from normal to two hard rocks on my chest immediately. And it's painful. And it's painful. And I wake up and I'm literally, I look like I go like this. And my husband, I was like, something happened to me overnight. <laughs> and I can't move them. And mm -hmm. the baby can't latch onto them. Yeah, so he's like, full. you need to call the lactation person. You need to do. And so I'm like, yes, I'm going to do all this stuff. And he's like, listen, you got a situation going on here. We can try to feed the baby. Let's try to feed him. The baby, I'm not doing this. This is, I can't get my mouth on this. This is too hard. So I know. I, they're like, I'm not doing this. My husband's okay. We tried that. He's like, our baby's crying. He wants food. He's very hungry. I'm going to get some formula because our child needs to eat. You take mm -hmm. care of yourself and handle all of this that you got going on and we will be okay. And then maybe later on tonight, we, we try again, but I'm just going to feed him the next few feedings with this little bottle of formula. And I think in that moment when I was just starting to panic and just starting to like beat myself up, it's in that moment, it was like a switch. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, yes, girl, what are you like? Snap out of this. What are you doing? Like you didn't got yeah. caught up in the hype. Like the hype is yeah. eat this baby because he's hungry. And I was just blessed. I was lucky to have a partner there that was able to like bring me back to that reality to where I could then start going through all the things that you need to do when you're engorged to try to relieve that. And in the meantime, I had the support of a partner who then could feed the baby so I could take care of myself. And you know what? That dynamic probably saved me from a lot of the stress that women go through mm -hmm. um, in breastfeeding and this postpartum period, feeling like all the work is on them because I let go of that very early on, like maybe like day six into the, my my journey, my postpartum period, I immediately let someone help me that was there to partner with me. Never and looked good at help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah actual help. 
functional help. And what I see a lot of in postpartum periods with women is a lot of what do you need help with? Mm -hmm. So it's like yet another thing that the woman has to deal with and think about, oh, is there something that this other person could do when really the other person just wants to like hold the baby, but functional help, help that is going to get to move you to, to progress you through something like the baby crying. So yes, you can take care of yourself because are you just going to like, like fiddle with your pump to get some relief? And then you got to put it in the bottle and then you can feed the baby and it might take 30 minutes. So your baby's screaming. So you're trying to pump while your baby's screaming. That's not. No. And for me, it took longer than that. For my journey, it took a couple days because I'm just one of those people who had extreme pain and it took months before that eased up before I could, my baby could, my baby didn't have a problem with latching. All the different things they're they're always like, oh, it's the baby's latch. Oh, it's the nipple. No. It was my whole entire chest. My body was on fire. And that could be mm-hmm. for many other different reasons that just adjusting to motherhood. It, it it took me days before I could properly latch him again. So then I was just pumping, right? And mm-hmm. trying to pump as much as I could because not only am I engorged, but I'm also in pain. There's only so many times a day you can mash on yourself, right? And you can continue to do all the things. It just gets to be insane. And after a couple of days, then I was back to trying to nurse him. But now I've already beat my body up. I've been pressing and mashing and, and vibrating and all kinds of crap mm-hmm. to get going here. And then you're pumping. And so you are just physically just exhausted. And then you're mentally exhausted. And then you're in pain. And then you're like, hey, these things don't function the way that I thought that they were. And so when I started going through all those challenges, I was still happy with myself because I felt like as long as I was producing milk, like some milk, my baby was getting the benefit and I was okay with supplementing with formula Mm -hmm. because I honestly just want the baby to be fed. But all of that pressure had me really start researching breastfeeding and the the, the studies that have been done behind it, but also wanting to talk to other women, especially older women, about their experiences before all this was done. And you know what I found? There's some things that just aren't lining up. So of course, I start with my grandmother because I'm still blessed enough to have her around. And I start talking to her about breastfeeding. And what I found in all of those situations, especially when we look at women who worked outside of the home, on any level, even if it was part-time. But still, what I found is that there was always a level of supplementation. There was Mm -hmm. never this aspect of 100%, at least in in what, from what I've heard with women, there's, there has never been this aspect of, of 100% breastfeeding without introducing some form of supplementation for a lot of women. Not, of course, we're not talking about every woman, but for a lot of women. And we have to consider not every woman and not every person has the same body. Not every person Mm -hmm. has the same abilities. And so when we look at feeding, it looks like there's always been a level of supplementation with infants. Why? Because a lot of infants used to die from being... I know, like, how great is it that we have this? This was created for a reason. 
And then the book I sent you, Bottled Up, I think is the name of it, mm-hmm. reading through that book and how she wrote about the history of formula being created was very eye-opening, right? Because formula was actually like this marvel and it was like this life-saving thing. And people were like very happy when it came about because there were so many infants that were suffering just from the, mm-hmm. the, the fact of being underfed. And if you could not find a wet nurse, then you were, you were, you were out of gas, right? You were just, it it wasn't going to happen. And the idea of even wet nursing during up until the twenties was, could be a full-time profession. Women with that wonderful oversupply, they can have a full-time profession. They would sit on maternity wards and feed infants because it was known that women, especially first-time moms would not produce enough milk and pediatricians, midwives, all these different people, they were mixing concoctions to try to Mm -hmm. give the baby something to keep them alive. And frankly, it was just like concoctions. Like a lot of times it would make the situation worse. So like formula came in as this like wonderful thing that actually increased infant health and stopped that infant mortality rate significantly. And so that got me thinking when we continue to promote breastfeeding, and you kind of mentioned this, what is this disconnect between wanting to solely breastfeed But then also, like, I see this thing happening with women where they, the baby's crying. So we know the baby's hungry. The baby could be excessively crying and we call it colic. Sometimes I think it's colic. Now I'm starting to think it's more hunger. And we Uh insist on continuing to breastfeed. What is that thing that you think stops women from wanting to give the formula when we know the child is hungry, because in my mind, I'm like, what are the effects on starvation on infants at that young? I've tried to find Mm -hmm. some research about it. And all I've seen a lot of it is that, yes, that's something that they want to study more. They haven't been able to really dive into studying that. But what stops us as mothers from supplementing? Do we understand that if the baby's losing weight, there is a period of starvation Other in other areas of children's lives? we look at the effects of starvation at different developmental ages. Mm -hmm. Why is it that during this one period, we can push breastfeeding so much that we're willing to ignore that there's a level of starvation taking place if your child is not adequately gaining weight, but we still insist on 100% breast milk. Why, what what is that? Yeah, so you said in any other instance with children, I would consider it like food insecurity. So like, it's a big deal. Make sure that they're eating enough. Make sure that they're growing. Make sure that they're thriving. We have growth charts for this reason. And so when you're consistently, so my daughter, my daughters, my son is high, but my daughters, and I just think that's a gender thing, but my daughters consistently in the 10th or 15th percentile. So they're small for their, for the weight, for their age, but they've like always been on that percentile. So nobody's really concerned because they're just like, that's just who they are. But when you're decreasing, at your checkups, that is a cause of concern. But I think that first, I think people aren't really putting it into perspective like you just did and use those words. Because those words, I would think, would imply neglect. And nobody wants to take that on. And so you're you have this expectation or society or Facebook is putting this expectation as mothers is like, this true mother goddess provides her body to her child. And when 
the body is not producing, physically producing, then you're not up there with that thing that you're striving for. And so you have to accept, hey, I'm not up to par with this pedestal that I've put myself on or that I want to say, hey, I've I fed my baby for 36 months or I fed my baby for 27 months or whatever kind of months you're in, or I haven't had to supplement or I've saved so much money by breastfeeding, which is false because all the shit you have to buy (laughs) to like support, to make your breastfeeding journey comfortable is a lot of money. But I think that nobody's really putting it into simple terms because those simple terms reflect on them and decision that they made. And so it's twofold. So they're worried about not meeting this expectation that they've set themselves. And then they're worried, which would make them not a good mother. And then they're worried to say, oh, wow, I need to supplement with something because my baby's consistently hungry, which means starvation. And that would also make me a bad mother. So they're like a movement in between. How do they reconcile that? And so I think they just either don't think about it or wait until a professional has been like, you have to do this. And so then it's not their decision. Oh, my doctor said. I think the biggest disappointment I had in this whole journey when talking with people who are breastfeeding experts or promoting breast is is best, that I think was my biggest disappointment in the breastfeeding community is when we reach that point where we know that, yeah, maybe I fed the baby three ounces or two ounces, or maybe he latched for 20 minutes, but he's still crying. Maybe he wants to be topped off. He's still a little hungry. That is very normal for human nature. It's also very normal as a human being who is an animal, we are animals, to to not be a hundred percent able to do every single thing the way that we set this societal expectation. Our bodies are still biology. And with that biology, it's all different and diverse for everyone. There is flaws in human nature and we're not really accepting that. And that was my biggest um, problem with some of the advice that I've seen is that it was not, it's not even about it being promoted. It was almost like a topic that was not to be discussed or to ever be brought up as an alternative or supplementation, I would hear, would would not hear formula, but what you would hear is maybe you can go and get some breast milk from, you know, a a donor milk, milk. right. You maybe you can go find donor milk. And I'm like, okay, yes, if that's the process you want to take, but doesn't that seem a little bit, a little bit even more drastic than just say, give the baby his four ounces of formula that he needs every day to keep him satisfied and and topped off. Yeah, I I ended up donating some milk. So two things I wanted to bring up. So I was able to pump a lot of milk, but I also got mastitis like seven times. Oh, So that is the other thing. Yeah, I was able to produce a lot of milk per day, but I also had clogged ducts that I would have these red streaks down my milk ducts. I would have a a high is that, is that with your last fever. baby? You were able, with your last what? baby? Is that your last My baby? My last baby, okay. the one that I was like the most successful That's with. Mm-hmm. I had mastitis like three or four times. And, it, and I would be, you know, crying in the bathtub, like doing the, like soaking my boob in Epsom salt and <laughs> yeah. just trying to get any relief. Like I put, I got the massager thing and it was clogged. And I had to buy the supplements, the sunflower lecithin to emulsify the fat that was clogged in my duct. And I like couldn't function at work unless I was 
Tylenol every couple hours because I had this fever. And then I was on antibiotics because my doctor was like, maybe you're septic. Like there are other things that go along with, I don't want to say like comorbidity. So you're like successful in this one area, but it comes at a possible cost as well. Mm -hmm. And so I remember thinking, I can't keep doing this. Like just for the sake of like getting more milk, like I'm wrecking my body. Body. Mm -hmm. I feel like crap. I can't, I have a fee. I have a fever. Like that's a big deal. And so I did want to bring that up that it wasn't just roses when feeding my third. But one thing that I thought of when you were talking though, is this idea that you have time for all that. So you have other kids that you're supposed to be taking care of. And then also, I think one thing that in this, in promotion of breastfeeding that can sometimes be forgotten is that there is a socioeconomic um, status associated with being able to breastfeed for longer periods of time or to mm-hmm. even take on breastfeeding. And that plays a big part in that. And I think that's also not mentioned enough. Like as someone who is a working human being, we have to be able to have a job that allows the flexibility for pumping. Mm-hmm. Also have to have the support around us in childcare and in access to healthcare insurance to support this breastfeeding journey. Because like you said, if I get my status, I got to be able to go to the doctor. If I'm at work, somebody's got to watch my children. And then you have to be able to then also produce enough milk to leave with the baby or to the babysitter or at the daycare. And all of those factors combined definitely play a part in breastfeeding success, but also how long you can actually continue to go. It is not just the two 15 minute breaks that the long allows you to pump at work in an eight hour day. It's just the body does what it wants. And when you get a letdown or you get full, like you need to go pump. It is just not humanly possible to continue this promotion of uh, breastfeeding the way that it's being promoted right now without getting more realistic about some of those factors that also affect women because then women start to beat themselves up. Why why is my milk supply dropped? Why is my baby not want to latch anymore? Why am I not able to produce the way that I used to produce at the beginning of my, of breastfeeding? I think all those factors play a part. And I know that we, me and you are very privileged in the position that we're in because we do have flexibility in our work environments to be able to have even considered continuing to breastfeed for you as long as you you went. And then for me, just being able to continue to to as long as I want, that is definitely something that a lot of people do not have. Yeah. And I, I really do recognize it because I've only, I had my daughter and then three months later, I started working full time. I was working at a ambulatory surgery center that was very rigid. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't want to work there anymore. And so I was like, eh, I'll go there part time. And they were like, no, we need full time. And I was like, I'm good. I started working at a, at a gym that does offer me a lot of flexibility and things can get really chaotic and you can get caught up in stuff and you can be coaching on the, on the floor for three hours at a time with no break. And, and I'm choosing to pay to put my children in a daycare center. So that is something that I feel really good about. I wouldn't necessarily want to stay home with all three of my kids. I really like 
being creative and productive and Mm -hmm. then having them be enriched in a facility and fed and socialized and things like that. I really do believe that if at any point it became on my, whatever my inconvenience level was with Juna or any of my kids, especially with Juna, because I was very much okay making decisions, whatever my inconvenience level was, if it ever hit that, I really do believe that I would have been like, it's fine. We're good. Like we can shift however we want. And I do think that, like you said, there are a lot of factors that, that go into, and I don't even want to say breastfeeding success because like just being able to continue. So if you can't afford one of those really cool breast pumps, yeah, that's a barrier. And I didn't want to be honest, if I didn't have that mm-mm, done, because I'm not doing all those wires and, and I'm sitting at a desk and I'm not yeah. doing that. And I've tried like everything. I recently, I sold it to somebody and I like got all my breastfeeding stuff. I put it on the table and I sorted it and I took a picture and it was like a lot of stuff. And I used it. I used all of it, Yeah, you know, yeah. To, to support, to make it more convenient. And I, and my partner would be like, how much was that? And I was like, I don't even care how much it is because if it's going to make my life a little bit easier, I'm doing it. I got the special stroller. I got the the sound machine. I did with this third one, I did all of it. But for somebody in a group to say, just latch more. What about dinner? Mm-hmm. Or what about mm-hmm. my kid who's potty training? Or what about the homework that I need to do because I'm in school? So... There are other things, I think, that case-by-case basis, like hour-by-hour, need to take priority. And what I see a lot of in the groups, I'm in this, like, non-toxic one. I think I was talking to you about it. I don't know how I ended up in this Facebook group. It might have been called something else. I'm in this non-toxic group, and people are asking, is it better to breastfeed if I'm having a really hard time or, like, breastfeeding or formula feeding? Or breastfeeding on one girl was like, should I breastfeed on a crappy diet or should I formula feed? And she was like, I'm the unhealthiest I've ever been, or I smoke or whatever, Mm -hmm. or, and it's just like either or. And I really think that women are, you know, thinking about their relationship with their decision rather than what's the most efficient, productive way to feed your baby that's functional for your family. And you really should be thinking about that with all of your decisions regarding your family. But ultimately, I'm the one that's going to make the decision. And I really try and look at, I get a lot of decision fatigue because I try and look at all the options because I want to make the best option. But really, the important thing is making a decision that's going to work for your family because my family is different than your family. And my job and my partner's job is very different. Could we do the same things if I had a very inflexible job that we've done? Am I making decisions because I need that flexibility? Am I choosing what school to put my kids in based on like how convenient and functional it's going to be for our family? And I wish people would just let women and give them the grace and the space to just make the best decision for their family and then just leave it at that. 
So that's not anymore. Absolutely. And that kind of brings us into this last part of our podcast that I think is probably the one area that probably does not get communicated properly to women. And that is this idea of what is not only just best for the infant, but what is also best for the health and in particularly the mental health of the mother. Mm -hmm. Because we know that you cannot be a proper parent if you are mentally dead on the inside Mm -hmm. and just disconnected from the whole experience, that also does not support the health of your infant, no matter how much that baby latches that boob. It does not work that way. And so with that, when you go to your pediatrician or you check in, they're always giving you these postpartum surveys. Are you depressed? Are you this? But that's not really, one, we know it's not enough. But also I think even when dealing with lactation consultants and stuff like that, people do not put the mental health of the mother as much as a higher priority in this whole fourth trimester experience as they should. Because putting the health and the mental health of the mother also means that we're going to have to relook at some of the ways in which we promote taking care of an infant to women, such as the breast is best campaign, instead of also offering alternatives to support with um, supplementation formula, or if you can get donor milk, but we really, we don't really offer that information from the beginning. The other thing is this promotion on uh, infant feeding schedules and what it looks like in how the baby is supposed to be sleeping and eating. And I'm not here to offer you medical advice. I can only work from the mental health perspective. But when I also kept asking older women, because I was really interested in when this whole idea of like only using, only feeding breast milk Like you can't get a can of formula when I've had so many other women tell me that they used Carnation Instant Milk or Pablum or whatever. I know you've heard it all, right? Back in the 60s or the 70s. And that's what they used when they couldn't find anything or if they knew the baby needed something extra or the baby wasn't, you know, gaining weight or they had to go back to work or stuff like that. And then the other thing that I wanted to find out was when did this whole feeding every two hours like... Is that something that was always told to women? Because it just seems to me a little bit, if we look at how the industrial revolution worked, if we look at how women, the homes to work, even if we look at how women even worked in the home as a stay-at-home homemaker, really working in the home, were these women really feeding every two hours or were they feeding on demand with an infant? And so those are just all the, the mental health questions I had going into this. And what I found is that, the exclusive breastfeeding promotion policies, which is one of the articles too that I sent you that we, I was reading and looking at, really not only does not prioritize the mental health of the mother, but it's also a detriment to the mental health of the mother. And there has to be some better balance in how we how we talk about breastfeeding and how we talk about infant feeding in general. And some of the points that they made uh, were actually significant. And I'll just review those really quick here before I get your feedback. But one, they said one of the things that needs to be done if we wanted to um, have more balance in the maternal health and the infant health of the mother is it increase the actual medical education and the clinical practice of psychology and bring them together in the effects of breastfeeding and how important looking at breastfeeding and feeding in in general is on the parents' mental health. And they did use parents because they were including the partners in this whole 
uh, process too, because we were not considering the partner's mental health at all in how infant feeding was playing a part in that. And then the other uh, thing was increasing research on the positive and negative effects of exclusive breastfeeding policy on mental and physical health of both lactating parents and their infants. And when they say policy in particular, they mean not only policy from a medical perspective, because I think some people get on that and we harp on policy in terms of promoting women's health, but also breastfeeding, infant health, breastfeeding in terms of it'll make my baby smarter. It'll Mm -hmm. stop with respiratory issues and gastrointestinal issues, but also looking at promoting positive and negative exclusive breastfeeding policies in terms of mental health, physical health, but then also any policies that need to take place in changes in workforce, changes in healthcare, changes in childcare, those types of policies that would be need to be created to support this. And then the other thing is including broader definitions of what success is in breastfeeding regarding mm-hmm. infant feeding practices, both on clinical ends and psychological aspects, and then also on medical models um, of breastfeeding. Like we need some broader definitions of what successful breastfeeding looks like because the current model we have right now makes everybody a failure, to be honest. I would say it's very few women who can go that one year, which is that time frame, or even that six month period that they talk about exclusively 100% just breast milk. There's very few women who meet that milestone. But then also, I'd like to say, if you're meeting the milestone, how is your baby in that whole time period? We can't ask them. We can't ask the baby, right? If they enjoyed those first six months. But so like those things. And the other thing was further research on the, the impacts of social media messaging. Um, and lactating patients' experiences. So we've already talked about the Facebook groups needing to do more research on how's that, how that's impacting breastfeeding. And lastly, improving efforts to ensure educational and research gaps that are narrow versus wide existing breastfeeding and mental health inequalities. So like we said before, I found some definite gaps in research when we talk about early periods of starvation, or if we even know the baby's reading early periods of starvation, because some of the things that we've been told about breastfeeding, like the baby will naturally not put on as much weight or we do know infants can lose when they leave the hospital. That's something to be expected. But sometimes some of the, the things that are promoted with breastfeeding is that when you take the baby and, oh, your baby, this is normal. They don't gain as much weight when you're initially breastfeeding for those first few days. And all that, some of that may be absolutely biologically normal. But we've also seen differences in infants that either formula feed or breastfeed and formula supplement when they go to their first few visits. Those babies actually are not experiencing weight loss. And so Mm -hmm. that some of those little uh, gaps in research, I think, just need to be done just so that we as uh, humans can make choices for ourselves that better fit our family. So what I was interested in is like when we look at all those different ways in which we can change the promotion policies of of breastfeeding to fit, like you say, you got to make the decisions that fit your family. What are some of the things that you've seen Um, come in with your mom's group or the fit mom workouts, because I do know people use their trainers as their therapists from time to time. What (laughs) else we hear a lot in in terms of like postpartum depression or anxiety you've seen people come in with surrounding this area? 
So, yeah, I have a lot of examples of or even your own women. Too. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. my own experience with. Yeah, I have a lot of examples. With okay. that too. My experience with postpartum depression, anxiety. I don't remember much about after my first daughter, after my son, I for a couple weeks, I guess the baby blues or, yeah. or whatever. And then it just kind of went away. After my third, I had a huge surge in postpartum anxiety. And for the first year postpartum, I remember being in the shower one night crying. And I said to myself, I hate being a mom. And then almost immediately, you're a shitty mom because you said that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, something's wrong. And I began to seek out a functional medicine physician, care provider. And then I was navigating insurance. And I, this is like a a pivotal moment in my life. So I found, I made an appointment with this person in town. And I said, Hey, this is my insurance. I know a lot of places have said, we do not take this insurance. Do you take this insurance? Yes, we do. Great. So I make the appointment for, and it's four weeks out. I make the appointment. I said, are you sure you take my insurance? Yes. Give them all my information. I have my baby in my, in the carrier, in the car seat. And I have my five-year-old with me for, I don't know. I don't know why she was with me that day. I go into the office and I'm like, I'm here for my appointment. And they say, we don't take your insurance. And the girl who took your appointment got your phone number wrong. So we couldn't call you and tell you. So if you'd like to pay $150 to see the care provider today, you can. And immediately I got my mask on, but like immediately tears. And I call my hut. I'm like, I can't pay that. And if I had maybe a couple of weeks, like I could pinch pennies and, and save up for that. But I go in there and I'm like, I can't. And so I was like, I told them that and I, I was crying. And she was like, you can talk to the office manager if you want. And I'm like, I want to talk to the office manager. I want to see the doctor. And I left, I called my husband, I'm bawling my eyes out. My daughter's like, why are we going to the doctor? And it's just like this movie and it's just making it worse. And um, he ends up calling the office and they're like, she can pay $150 if she wants to see the doctor. And then I call my friend who like recommended this place. And I'm just like, so distraught. And I was thinking to myself, what if that was the last straw for me? Mm -hmm. And I had done something drastic after that because I was in the doctor's office and I crying and I said, I need help. And I just kept saying that over and over again. And the front desk person, the only thing she offered me, you can see the doctor for $150. And then here's a kicker. A month later, I get a bill for a no-show appointment. And so I am hot to trot. So I pick up my phone and I'm like, I want to talk to the office manager now, right now. And they're like, okay, my call gets dropped. And so then I'm even more hot. And so I call them back and I I explain everything. And I'm like, not being nice. And she, the office manager, I'm really sorry. Like she's super apologetic. And she's, I just started working here like three days ago. So I'm not, she's not even the office manager from when I went to go the first time. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry that you're dealing with this. But what if I was like on the edge? 
And I left that office and drove my car into another car. And that was the moment that I said, there needs to be something else. And that's how my group started. But there are women suffering and there are women suffering in silence that are trying to bottle it down and just cry in their shower. And there are women asking for help. And we're like, mm, you're fine. Pay your baby money for the dollars. <laughs> All we care about is the baby. So like, but you deal with it. It'll pass. And that's not good enough. We spend so much time and effort working with a pregnant person. And then once that baby's born, they get 15 minutes after, six weeks after for 15 minutes. And that's it. And then we're like, if you need us, you'll reach out. But then when people reach out, they're met with this resistance and it's not accessible. And you go and you try and seek out more affordable or more accessible options, but then you're on hold for three hours. So how can we support women, support them before they ask for help and support people that are, are asking for help? And it is the biggest negligence on our society to not support the women who are literally giving birth to other generations that we that need to work, that need to pay taxes. And we're just like, figure it out, deal with it. Figure when it out. Before, we weren't working outside the home, we're not working second shifts. We're not working 24s and we had, we lived with our families. We lived with other people in our communities and we had that physical support. And now in this huge virtual world, everybody's all over the place. And I really appreciate those connections that you can make, but there's something that's lacking in this very ancestral and physical thing that we do. It's just, it's not jiving and it's not working and we need to do better. And these are some conversations that we can take. Hey, women, you have a choice and you have support here. We're open. Let's help you make a decision that works for your family. So you're not crying in your shower at night because me crying in my shower at night, you think I'm like super nice to my kids the next day, or am I really short with them about, they ask me one more question or I hear mommy one more time or the somebody cuts me off on the traffic on the way to school, like all these things, they're like little things, but compound. And when you're stressed or you think you're not good enough, or somebody told you that you're the reason your, your baby's sick, or you're the reason your baby's not gaining weight. And you're just, it's, you can't win right now. I think the story needs to be, Hey, women, like, it's not about winning. It's about what is going to make your family structure better and easier to manage because it is, there's too much going on for people. Ultimately, I think that brings us to the one area of this breastfeeding journey that I think you and I both know to be true and real. And that is fed is best supporting mothers is vital to infant wellness. And none of this is a competition. 
None of this is a right way or a wrong way, to be honest with you, because the world is not that black and white and human bodies are not that black and white. If you are mentally and you feel supported and your baby is fed and your baby is healthy, then everything is good. And all of the extra that goes along with shaming moms and bullying moms into breastfeeding and not supporting them in that postpartum fourth trimester and not recognizing all the different aspects that go along with postpartum um, depression and anxiety, all of that is not helpful or or, um, going to really create the kind of people that we need in our society and these next generations. It it doesn't just start with infant health, but the health of the mothers raising these kids are really important. Mm -hmm. So I think with that, I hope that in the future, we can start to really, when women are confronted with breastfeeding and confronted with this area, which is only, if you think about it, such a small time period that we put so emphasis on something being wrong and right. But if we just really focus on just doing what's best for our bodies and our babies and our family during this time period, I think that it would, one, make things a lot more, not just easier, but a lot more bearable in how we deal with the change, because change is hard, how we deal with the change of things. But also, I think that this would just make motherhood be motherhood and not this ultimate like goddess experience that they try to make this out to be that this just doesn't exist. I'm just a mom, you're just a mom, and we're doing the best that we can. And ultimately at the end of this, somebody's gonna be eating French fries off of the floor of the car. That's usually the way it works out. Like Exactly. It usually all works out that way. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add, Isabel? Yeah, I guess like my general advice is find a couple really good, real friends (laughs) that you can band together and, and move through this motherhood journey together. Because if the authentic interaction or the perceived authentic interaction you have is with people online, then you're going to be, it's, you're missing out on true connection and true like commiseration and venting and people that are close to you. So my, yeah, that's my advice is to like find a couple moms that like you, you vibe with and then just kind of stick with them. Yeah. I mean, Yeah. (laughs) and keep it real because it gets tough out there thank you so much for joining us um on this episode of the trauma perspective and i'm going to make sure that we post all of isabel's information in the bio of this podcast and then also all of the additional resources that we spoke about in this podcast including any journal articles and books will be listed on uh, the healing body website at thehealingbody.com so that you can follow up do your own research and reading these articles and make your own decisions for yourself and what is best for your life all right thank you Thanks.